Welcome to What's Next, the podcast that delves into the exhilarating world of nonlinear careers and the art of successful pivots. Join your host, Tamira Lechner, as she explores the diverse pathways of entrepreneurial spirits who thrive while working and playing across multiple disciplines. Whether you're firmly established in your career, contemplating a change, or simply seeking inspiration, these conversations with fascinating people will ignite your curiosity and inform your own journey. Tune in to discover how mindset and action plus your own secret sauce can lead to extraordinary personal and professional growth, no matter where life takes you. Welcome to What's Next. I'm Tamara Lechner, your host, and I'm here for the second week with my guest, Eric Fraser. Eric, you had a big week. It was your last day at your previous job at Culture Partners, yep. and then you officially began your new adventure, which we teased a bit about in our conversation last week. But now that that old work has ended and the new thing has begun, I would love to get a little more clarity around the partnership that you have and what your few day, first few days have been like. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. So um, yes, I had my last day at Culture Partners and I'm very grateful for the experience that I had there. I'm now working with an AI scientist, um, Dr. Lisa Palmer, and she uh, used to be at Microsoft and then Splunk. She had a fairly senior and meaningful data science role at Splunk. Um, and it was after her time at Splunk that she decided to go and start her own business as an AI advisor to executives. So I've been lucky enough that um you know she's agreed that uh we should work together and um see what we can do together and i'm incredibly optimistic about what we can do um i also know that she's a long way ahead of me in terms of her knowledge of ai so i'm just basically going to be a good student do my homework do my study uh, and learn as much as possible as quickly as possible Oh, I, I love that. I, I, number one, I'm, I'm such a huge fan of lifelong learning and I consider myself <laughs> lagging behind you <laughs> the way that you're behind <laughs> Dr. Palmer. Uh, and so hopefully our audience will find some place where they see themselves. They, they may know as much as Lisa does, or they may be more like you, or they might be a Tamara, or maybe they're even more of a newbie. And, and so I think I'm really grateful that you're allowing us all to witness your journey and to learn from it. One of the things I know is when you have a pivot in life, career, whatever, it comes with emotions. And, and often we don't talk about emotions at work. But if you had to put two or three emotions around your experience last week, what, what words would you choose? Uh, the first one would be gratitude. And that's how I feel towards Culture Partners for giving me two and a half years of incredible education and experience in the field of organizational culture. So gratitude would be number one. Uh, number two would be excitement. I'm really excited about the possibilities that are open now um, from teaming up with Lisa. And um, the third one is just a curiosity. I know that sounds a little bit intellectual. Maybe it's not as emotional, but um, the reason that it's so strong is because the field that Lisa and I work in changes basically every week. 
And so it does make you curious as to what's going to happen next. Um, and these are large changes. I mean, there are breakthroughs in computing hardware that can massively affect the um, the effectiveness of AI, for example. And it's it's a pretty astounding area to be working in because um, you know you might wake up Monday morning and find that the technical and economic context of your business has just been changed very very much from Friday night. Yeah, I think it's not a space for those who are adverse to change. So so certainly if others listening are thinking, okay, is this for me? Probably you need to have a fairly high level of comfort with uncertainty and change in order to play in this space. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, you know, part of what we are doing in our first week. Well, first of all, Lisa's taking a very well-deserved break this week. So I'm um, catching up on some things to do with me learning her business and learning some of the business priorities that she's currently set. Um, and then I'm also just continuing some learning paths that I've set for myself just purely on um, the technology and the mathematics of AI. Well, and that's interesting, Eric, because we we talked at the end of our last conversation about clear goals for week one, and one of them was a general understanding and an action plan. So it sounds as though you're going to have plenty of time because you don't have to jump in running as far as, okay, we're both working together and we're creating everything. You get to lay the foundation uh, with a probably a, a nice pace, given that you're getting to sit and do that on your own for a week. Yeah, and we want to move fairly quickly as a business, but we don't want to rush to the point that, you know, we trip over ourselves. Um, and the, the whole thing of, you know, move fast and break things um, may not be the most intelligent method for running a business in the field of AI. Because uh, when you break a small thing in AI, you end up with very big, bad consequences. So you do need to move fast, but you need to move fast in a controlled and intelligent way. Kind of like when you're running a fast break on the basketball court. I mean, you can run it fast and sloppy, but then you're just going to turn over the ball and then the opposition's going to score on you and make you look dumb. So you want to run the fast break. You want to run it very, very precisely. I think that's, it's interesting. One of the things that I've noticed about AI that seems a little bit different than other technology startups is that, okay, let's be super agile. Let's let's get out our, our MVP, our minimum viable product. And actually, I don't know that that's the safe way. I don't know that it's the yeah. most effective way. And I think that's going to be a mindset shift for people who have, been in the technology space who think they know AI, it, it may be a big shift to the way they need to work. Yeah, there's an illustration, a big public illustration of that dynamic going on right now because Amazon just brought out its competing large language model and they've been, they were clear and said, you know, this is a beta release. So there are some things in this that are going to be not right. But of course, it's Amazon and it's a release. So everyone had expectations of it. They thought, well, this is going to be pretty good, right? Because most of what Amazon does is good. 
And then they started finding some pretty big holes in it. And so they would poke fun at it, like, oh, look, it can't even add up two numbers. <laughs> and, um, you know, and then Amazon's reply was, well, we told you it was a better release. Like, why did you expect it to be perfect? Um, but that's a an illustration of where the there's a conflict between Amazon thinking, well, let's just move fast and break things, right? And the mm -hmm. public has a different expectation. They're no matter how many times they're told it's a better release, they do not expect something to be broken when Amazon releases it. Well, and I think that that's the key when Amazon releases it, because if this was Pi or if this was some other smaller company, yeah. that then we don't have the same level of status, expectation and history. Right. Um, and, and so I think that's a challenge that I think it's probably a good challenge that these large yeah. companies are going to face that maybe it will rein them in a bit because we, we touched a little bit last week on the danger of this technology becoming for the few. Yeah. And maybe, do you, do you think this might be a way that it evens the playing field a little bit because us as consumers are, are more open to mistakes from small mom and pop shops than we are from the Amazons? Yeah, I think that is something that might help keep it democratized. And the other thing is that, um, there was a fairly major alliance just announced in the last couple of days. Um, and it, it's led by IBM, but it's got a bunch of both hardware and software companies joining it and signing on to the concept that we'll basically share information with each other and keep things as open and transparent as possible. That, that transparency and the openness is really important for keeping AI democratized because that will let a two-person business access the same tech as IBM. I've heard some of the experts out there talking about this, but then in the same breath, they turn around and say the danger of open is that we are more easily able to regulate these large groups than the small ones. And so where do you weigh in on that? Because I like open for democratizing and I do hear, uh, the fear from some groups like the Center for Humane, the Center for Humane Technology, um, yeah. and and some of some of the groups that are really leading. I, I think they're leading with fear a little more than I would like to see them. Yeah. Uh, but they're talking a lot about if we have this open, yes, democratized, but also free for all. Where do you sit on that? <laughs> um, I think that it's a net positive to be more open. Yeah, there are risks with being open. Like the, the biggest one that I see in terms of the risk of being open is that it's much easier to hack the models when they're open yeah. because any bad actor can read everything about that model's behavior and say, oh, thanks, now I have a blueprint for hacking it. Specifically, I mean... Go back for our audience just in case yeah. there's people listening who don't understand the difference between open and closed. Can you take a crack at sure. making that super simple? Yeah. So um, open would be uh, where if I'm making the model, I, I just publish all the logic inside the model. And I say, this is how my model works. Now everyone knows. Anyone that wants to look at it can. Closed would be um, where I say, well, I've got this awesome model and it's mine. And I don't want anyone to know how it works because I'm going to sell this model or access to this model. So if I make it open, 
I'm losing money because now anyone can just make a copy and they don't need to buy mine. So open uh, exposes the guts of the algorithms and the math to anyone that wants to look. And so where my mind immediately went to that is when I watch a great cooking show with uh, one of the top chefs in the world, he could share his recipe with me, but it doesn't mean I can make it. Yeah, is true. <laughs> the technology or is it, is it, it a recipe it, yeah. that if you have the ingredients, you can make it? It's more like the second one because um, the difference between, you know, cooking and coding essentially is, you know, there's still skills that you need to have. Like you can have the recipe, but you can also still screw it up pretty badly if you don't have good cooking skills. Whereas mm -hmm. with open source code and systems, most of the time you can just click a button and download what it is that is open. So with very little technical ability, you can basically copy a lot of tech. Well, for people like me, that's great news. <laughs> I think it's, it's net net. I think it's good news for society. Like I said, I mean, I think there's a real security risk involved because um, you can, you know, it's kind of like having the the DNA of a species, and then you can use that DNA to um, design a virus to kill the species. Yeah, it's a little bit like yeah. that. Okay, that's that's nice and clear. So I want to take us backwards a little bit because it was your official start this week, but I know over the past months, you would have been thinking and preparing. And so if I'm listening in as a human that wants to also do what Eric is doing, what were the things that you were doing in the past few months that we could tell someone graduating or someone doing their own pivot that helped you prep for your what's next? Yeah. So first of all, some boring practical stuff. Um, I made sure that I had enough money that if I, if the pivot didn't work, that I wouldn't lose my house and starve to death. So um, I did the math on that and thought, okay, even if it goes completely wrong, um, I'm still economically safe. Um, and I set limits, right? So if this is still going wrong in three years, I'm going to have to pull the plug and just go and get a job. Um, that I know what my runway is. So that's number one. It's, it's pretty boring, but it's, it's really important is just know your financial situation so that if something goes wrong, you don't have to live in fear. Those um, obvious boring ones are often the ones that people might overlook and are really yeah, important. Yeah. Don't get too excited about the potential upside. Like think about the downside as well and just do something sensible so that the downside does not involve you dying. Um, and then, um, on the, the other, on the upside, right. And, um, tapping into the excitement, I, I did want to clarify for myself, why am I doing this? And for me, it was not actually about, oh, I want to make a, a lot more money. Um, I was being paid well enough what I was doing that, you know, that was fine. I mean, um, it wasn't so much like I want more money. It was that this was incredibly exciting to me. I, I saw it as a chance to be really involved in a set of issues that I think are really important as well as really interesting. Um, so get clear on your personal motivation of why is this pivot attractive to you? And if the answer is money and status, I would back away. That's great um, advice. Yeah. And then 
some other more you know prosaic sort of logistical stuff is okay um how much notice do i give my current employer i gave my uh, culture partners a lot of notice because i thought they deserved that they have done the right thing by me so i wanted to do the right thing by them um, i was really transparent with them about what i was doing why we talked about a timetable that would work for both of us we made sure that the handover was really smooth um, i think if you can do that it's generally better um, yeah leaving so, no no yeah. burnt bridges behind is is always the smart way to do business yeah, or just being good to people who have been good to you, you know. I mean, the people at Culture Partners were good to me, so I wanted to be good to them. Well, and that's a really good point. If you are somewhere where you're seen as an asset and something to use up, then you probably don't owe them anything. But if, right. if someone treated you well and helped you to grow, then then you might owe them a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly, yeah. Um, and then there was just some training of myself that I could do uh, in my own time, even while I was at Culture Partners, there's so much free education that you can access online about AI. Um, and so what I did is I had a basic understanding of Lisa's business even before I joined it. And so I used that to filter down what I was going to study. And then I just set myself some homework and did the homework. So I would love to ask you because I've been playing with some of the free online and you're right there. It's, it's the time where there's too much and it's hard yeah. to choose. So if you're someone like me and you're looking and there's a free course from IBM and there's all of these Coursera courses, what is it that you would say someone who wants to make this their business and not necessarily consulting like you, but someone that, that wants to, understand how AI is impacting organizations, maybe on the HR side, maybe on the sales side, uh, maybe actually in the technical, in the weeds of things, how would you help them choose a good course? <laughs> That's a tough one because there's so much range. There's a really wide range of things you can do as a consultant. So the first thing that you would want to know is what sort of consultant do I want to be? Um, just saying you want to be an AI consultant is unfortunately, it's just too wide. Like you have to get much more specific. Um, so for example, Lisa and I are going to be consultants, mostly for sales and marketing leaders who already have an appetite to use AI and who just want to know, look, of all the, this, there's this massive field of choice and I have a certain budget. What do I buy? And then how do I stick it into my tech stack so that it doesn't break anything and that it actually produces really good results? So that's a pretty specific use case and that's our lane and we're going to play in that lane for now. Um, so there's a whole bunch, there's, there's a massive amount of stuff we will not do. Um, so if you're saying to yourself, I want to be an AI consultant, first of all, we'll get pretty specific on what, you know, part of the AI world you're going to consult in. And then um, it, it depends on your learning style. Like Lisa and I were talking about the difference in our learning styles. So I like to go mostly from the ground up. Like when I was studying, you know, software development, I studied, you know, like physical computer science first. I wanted to know how microprocessors were built and behaved. Um, and she studies from the top down. So to me, taking courses on the math of neural networks is incredibly interesting. Um, but for other people, it might be incredibly boring. They might need to start from the other end, which is 
first, I want to know more about how businesses are solving business problems using neural networks. And then once I know that, all right, then I will start to study a little bit of the math. Whereas I'd like to study like a lot of the math first and then ask, okay, so how does this get applied in business? Yeah, that access point matters. And I think probably the strength of a partnership is in not sharing the access point because you're going to understand your clients more when you've come at it from two different directions. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I don't have a desire to try and teach clients the math of it. I understand that I don't care about the math. I care about the math. Um, so that's fine. I'm not doing it because I want to be a math tutor. Um, it's just how I like to learn things. Well, and it is interesting. I have been through a training uh, with a former group, the Flow Research Collective that I was involved in, and there's started way down in the weeds with the history of AI. And for me, I was just like, oh no, <laughs> I, mean, I don't want, I don't care about the history of my iPhone. So I don't also care about the history of AI. And yeah. yet there were other people in the room who were just like sponges and loving that part. And, and so yeah. I think that this is helping me to think about how you sort what you're doing is, okay, what do I want to know? What do I need to know? Um, and specifically, how am I going to use it in what I'm going to do when I see people out there who slap the moniker AI evangelist on, I feel like they should know everything. They should know the math, <laughs> they should know history. Uh, and if they don't, I don't actually believe that they're an AI evangelist at all. Uh, but if you're specific, like you're saying, this is about sales teams and marketing teams and helping them sort and use and connect to their tech stack, very clear. So encouraging myself, I'm, I'm thinking now with my wheels because my AI use is really on the HR side and helping people teams and culture teams to understand that they've been missing a lot of things in the data that they've been taking. We know that yeah. many groups have been doing well-being check-ins or net promoter scores for years and years. And if you analyze that properly with AI, you're going to find things that you missed over over time. And so that's yeah. where my curiosity sits, which is, is well, slightly different than yours, but still in an organizational setting. Yeah, so if you take your interest area, which is how does AI help um, HR practitioners and you know manage things like, um, I don't know, employee engagement or reduce turnover or re uh, increase the fit of a person's skills and personality to the job they're doing. So they are all really good use cases for AI. And there are courses that would help specifically understanding that, starting with what type of AI is being used and by who, and how effective is it? Um, and that's completely not something that Lisa and I, for example, would do. So if a head of HR came to us and said, I'll give you like a million dollars to help me figure out like how to use AI for, I don't know, reducing employee turnover in the top ranked people, we would say, we don't do that. It's just not what we do. Um, even though the math of doing exactly that is actually pretty similar to the math of some of the stuff that we do. But we're, we're just I, not going to pretend to know that business case as well as we know the sales and marketing business cases. Well, and I personally believe that's a very smart way to start a business because when you try to be everything to everyone, then you end up being nothing to no one. So yeah, being very yeah. specific and having a very clean and clear niche uh, that you can sum up in an elevator pitch that you've done so nicely is exactly 
where I see people having the most impact. It's when you are trying to do all of the things and be all of the things. And I'm going to do movie editing and I'm going to do HR and I'm going to. Yeah. It's, tough. I, it's just too much. We can't possibly be experts in all of those areas. So I, I love right. that clarity that you're providing for yourself, for me and for our listeners. If, if you're thinking of, okay, where am I fitting in AI? Get very specific. Can you say, Who's your client? What's the problem you're solving for them? And then figure out, will they pay for it? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. I really like that. So you've, you've given us a bit of your background prep. Is there anything we missed there? Because I know we wandered off on a tangent. I think they're the, they're the things that I did. First of all, I just made sure I had enough money. Secondly, I clarified for myself, you know, what do I need to be learning and I set myself some homework just on those things. Um, and then thirdly, I, um, I basically made sure that how I treated the people I was leaving was as good as possible because they have been good to me. Well, and I can, I can see just in your LinkedIn feed, all of those people. Um, yes, sad that you're leaving and oh, so excited for what's next for you. So you, I feel like you know you're making a good pivot when the people around you are so supportive in the way that that you're getting support, both on the new receiving end, but also on the the exit end, which is wonderful. It is, yeah. I I really appreciate how, how much support they've given me and um, how supportive they were through the whole thing. Like when I told them flat out like what I was planning to do, um, I didn't, sense any uh I don't know, negativity from them they're all very supportive and by That's the way wonderful. you know the guy that took my role um is way better at it than me that's the other thing is it was a step up for the organization and um they they did an upgrade in that role the role i'm talking about is basically head of sales yeah. so i was essentially plugged in as uh, like a temporary day-to-day -day sales manager and then they went and got a really good head of sales and you can just tell by like you sit in any of the sales meetings that he runs and my impression was oh that guy is clearly better than me at this job and well, that's I, okay like that's that's good you know it is right i i love it when you when you can acknowledge that and for you to see that okay you've set the stage so the team can have this person walk in and, and do a brilliant job and everybody's happy about it that's yeah that that to me is a great pivot that that you can look back and go wow i learned a lot did well and now now they've got something better in there yeah uh, win, yeah. win win right for everybody right. exactly yeah all right so going back to our ai for the week i'm so aware that the speed of this technology you, you blink and you miss yeah. something. Um, and I was pretty checked out this week. I was traveling <laughs> for work. Um, and so what was happening? What were the cool innovations or exciting things? They may not have been brand new, but maybe they were new to you. What, what did you learn? What did you see? What excited you this week? The biggest thing was the, um, for me, I think was the statement of intention by so many big companies um, led by this IBM Alliance that basically they're all saying, let's be open and share things. Uh, now, if they stay true to that, that will have a massive positive effect, I think. So I think that was the biggest thing. Um, there's 
the this is wasn't this is a little bit older than a week, but when um, Twitter slash X said, "Hey, we're going to make our own LLM, and it's going to be called Grok, and it's going to be aware of Twitter posts essentially, and it's going to use those posts to retrain itself constantly." I mean, that set off a whole bunch of excitement and inquiry. Some of the deeper inquiry this week, I think, has touched on some issues that make me a little skeptical until I see it work. So there was a lot of excitement because everyone said, oh, what what a great idea. You know, you can look at Twitter posts and you'll be so up to date with what's going on in the world. I mean, you should be up to the minute, right, if you're reading Twitter posts as an LLM. But then people started pointing out that's actually quite hard for an LLM to adapt that fast. And what are you going to do about the posts that are like, I don't know, rants from crazy people? Because that exists on Twitter too. Um, I think that exists a lot on Twitter. (laughs) Yeah. So how is the LLM going to know the difference between a very intelligent, sanguine commentator talking about something that they're an expert in versus some crazy person just ranting? It's very hard for an LLM to discern between those two things. Is it even possible? Like that's one of the things that humans struggle to do. And I would love to think that math could help us. It it can help. Yeah. Okay. Tell me how. I'm really curious about that. Yeah. So you can use, again, probabilistic math to essentially um, look at a piece of data, like a a post and stick a probability on it, basically saying that Mm -hmm. this is probably good stuff versus this is probably a rant. Um, But it the way it does that is again through training data so it's got to know what does a rant look like i mean what's the pattern of language that i should look for to say oh that sounds like a rant see we do that humanly very intuitively because we learn a language and we spend years and years speaking and you know reading the language um the llm does that through learning via training data not by being in a world so it, it depends on the quality of the training data um, but you can use training data to help an LLM decide, oh, that's that's a rant. I think I'll ignore that one. So I'm going to do an example, and you can tell me if this is what you're talking about. I've told my children to be suspect of anybody who's using language that says everybody, always, never, <laughs> no yeah. one. These, these are words. These are cues that you might want to not trust this person for their word and you might need to go a little bit deeper is that what you're saying that we can do with an llm is give them these words and say if somebody's saying everyone no one always yeah yeah you can basically teach it to look for patterns uh, linguistic patterns like exactly that like the use of absolutes or the overuse of absolutes yeah you know you could even get as far as to say well you know one absolute in the following context is okay many absolutes in this other context is probably a rant that makes sense. That's so that is those are two really important things that have happened. What about anything cool or playful? Because one of the things I love about the AI space is often the work I'm getting to do feels like play. I'm trying art. I'm playing with. Did you notice anything or or, or try anything? Yeah, this, so every week there's some improvements in um, image processing. This seems th- this is an area that I'm not an expert in, by the way, because it just doesn't come up very much helping sales and marketing leaders um, 
improve but Lori their business. Mazur, our mutual friend is. So if people are looking to see someone yeah. who understands about that, she does. She's check she's, her out on LinkedIn. Yes, Laurie Mazur, M A Z O R. If you follow her, you'll actually get quite a lot of good information on the state of image processing. So there was a little bit of a craze that happened where people figured out that they could ask um, ChatGPT or other LLMs, hey, draw me a picture of a, a lazy cat. And then, you know, it would draw a picture of a lazy cat. And then you say, make it more lazy. And then it would do something to that picture to make the cat feel more, you know, look more lazy. And then you just keep going and say, okay, lazier, lazier, lazier. And you get to this extreme that ends up being really funny. Yeah, um, yeah. And so people were doing that with all sorts of stuff. And I thought that was fun because, you know, the products were really, really funny, but also it was super interesting because what it was giving us, giving everyone a window on was what are our current biases that are embedded in the images of the internet? So when you yeah. say like um, uh, there was uh, one of the guys, one of the professors at NYU did this one where he said, show me an Irish man. And then he said, just keep making him more and more Irish. And he's, you know, part Irish himself. So he was sort of having fun with it. And, you know, of course, at the end, it was like this really sort of super green leprechaun man, <laughs> you know, drinking Guinness and surrounded by four-leaf clovers. And it was just really extreme. But it, And he was having a big laugh about it. Um, and it is funny. Um, <laughs> but it also shows, oh, so that's what the internet thinks Irish is. So I had a similar experience, a friend of mine who I went to high school with, and he works and lives in Prague now, but he was trying to make a very Canadian image and he could not get, and I think he was using chat GPT, but I'm not sure. So Dolly, yeah, yeah, um, Dolly yeah. and it would not remove the beard from the Canadian man. It just thought that Canadian men had beards and hockey sticks. Now, something that our audience might not know about these generated images, if they are newbies or novices, uh, and, and something that I pointed out to my friend in Prague was in many of his pictures, he posted five or six of them, and I think less than 50% had the right number of fingers in the pictures. Yeah, and, yeah. and so as we are starting to learn what mistakes these uh, large language models and, and generative AI are making more commonly, that is one. But I saw a really interesting thing, Eric, um, on TikTok, which is, again, is not my news source, but they were saying this is the accessory of the future for bad operators, for criminals, and it was oh, the... an extra finger that you could basically put on like a ring so that when you, <laughs> you were doing yeah. criminal activity, you would yeah. have six fingers and you could say, well, that's not me because look, there's six fingers. And my mind just was like, blown number one that somebody would even have that idea yeah but also blown that wow th th we have to be thinking of so many things how can we possibly think of all these things yeah yeah um that's that was interesting to me too how quickly people came up with a way to defeat or, or to exploit the system it's not really defeating the system but it's an exploit it's saying oh if i just make it look like i have six fingers then i can invalidate the footage of me stealing stuff from walgreens um, yeah. and, um, that was interesting to me. There were some other things where people were, um, thinking about, you know, Hey, this risk now exists, you know, what are we going to do about that? Um, so there's this constant back and forth every time a new technology gets, uh, released, there's a criminal element that starts thinking about, Hmm, how can I use that to, to be a criminal? 
Um, and that that's interesting as well. I mean, it's worrying, but it's also really interesting. It's also another place where we're going to create jobs because I think we hear so many people scared about losing jobs to this technology. Well, there's some place you're going to be creating because we yeah. need someone who is wearing that hat and thinking about how do I make sure that all our safety yeah. and police are, whether it's, I mean, we've all heard of the challenges with facial recognition and the mistakes it's made that have led to some really horrible outcomes. But what if we can get ahead of it and actually be thinking the same way these people are who are going to use it for right. evil? I hate I hate saying evil, but it, it using sure. it in yeah. a nefarious and, way. Yeah, for uh, any social things. Yeah. yeah, there's there's jobs there. So yeah, just like the you know a whole industry or sub industry was created for IT security. Yes. Um, there'll be a similar thing that happens with AI security and safety. And I think one job posting I saw, you know, in the last two days was a new job posting at, I think it was OpenAI. And they were basically saying, we want to recruit a data scientist who's got about four years of experience in data science. And we're basically going to point you at security and safety. So that's going to be your purpose here is to worry about security and safety. And it was a really well-paid position for someone with four years experience. Yeah, um, I am blown away by the salaries that some of these job boards have for these positions that they can't even really clearly speak to the experience you need to do them, which on one hand is democratizing the space greatly. Yeah. But I also, I do worry about anything that your entry level salary is starting in the 300s or that to <laughs> me, that's uh, I know it's not entry level, but it's, it's yeah. a lot. Uh, sure. And so yeah. it'll be interesting to see how how long that trend continues and, and if people really, I believe people should get paid what they're worth. Yeah. And I think there's probably not a lot of people who need to be paid that much yet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the heat might go off it a bit. Like we're going through kind of a Cambrian period style expansion right now. Yeah. Um, yes. So there's tons and tons of demand, more demand than supply, but the market will balance itself out at some point, And then you probably won't get a four year experienced person getting paid 300 and something. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. And maybe, yeah. maybe next time we can talk a bit about what the roles are out there that people do deserve that much um, because we have people listening who are thinking of their futures. And, and so let's really put some effort to thinking about where are jobs going to be opening up so that we can help people choose where to upskill um, sure. and which ones do we see that actually are worth that salary that, that someone who really wants to make a difference and do something aligned with um, their own sense of meaning and mattering could also yeah. make a good living. Yeah, absolutely. And paths to that salary too, because even that yeah. posting, I mean, I didn't fully read the whole job description, but I noticed they did need someone who already understands data science. So, yeah. and with four years experience. So you, it's not just like, oh, I just have a degree in data science. Can I have that job? No, you can't. Um, so yeah, it's not like, oh, I'll just do an online course and then I'll get a 300K job. That's not realistic. Yeah. Well, and I um, think that's good for people to 
I'm sure there's people out there that hope that's the case, and the reality is it just it's, it's not Anything, that way. Yeah, I mean, it could happen, but yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, in rare cases, it might happen, but it's not going to yeah. be normal. Yeah, awesome. Well, I think we've uh, chewed over a lot of topics this week. And so what I want to do, like last time, is think about what are clear goals. So, so this week, you will have Lisa coming back. Yeah. If you had to pick one or two clear goals that you hope happen before we meet again, what are those going to be? Um, Lisa and I are actually going to work on really clarifying the, the purpose um, of the company, which I think she has a very intuitive understanding of, but I don't. Um, I mm. have... I think a different, maybe slightly different intuitive understanding of it. And we actually have to have the same understanding. This is really totally. important. This is something I've learned at Culture Partners. Um, so Shared we have to- clear goals. Yeah, exactly. So we have to have the same understanding of what the purpose of the company is, exactly the same. Um, and then uh, I suggested to her that we try to settle on three, um, what culture partners would call cultural belief statements. Um, commonly, yes. I see them described as value statements, but these have to be real. These have to be usable as filters for our decision-making so that if there's a really line ball decision, well, it could be either A or B. I mean, what's really better? We should be able to apply these three value statements as filters and say, well, one of them satisfies those filters better. So that's the one we're going to do. Well, I can't um, wait to hear what you come up with for both of those. And I couldn't agree more that that is where you need to begin before you start getting into the processes and the and all of the other things so is there anything i didn't ask you today that you want to share with our audience before we wrap this episode uh no i think this has been great thank you again um i uh i've enjoyed you know talking to you about this and um like i said i'm I feel lucky that I've been able to do this pivot with support from both sides the people i'm leaving and the person i'm going to um, and yeah, I'm a lucky guy. You are. And I'm lucky, I'm lucky to witness your journey. So, and so are our audience. So thanks to the audience for tuning in. Remember the next chapter of your story is on the horizon, ready to unfold, whether you're leaping towards it or letting the current pull you along. So until next time, keep charting your unique course. And as always stay curious, be open-minded and be brave. What's next is inevitable. Enjoying it is all up to you. Well said, Tamara.